Good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to start by actually praying a blessing over you guys. This is week 10 of our Faith and Finance series. Many people told us they've never been a part of a church that has actually gone through an entire series looking at what it means to marry our faith with our financial decisions. And that's it's a tricky area. It's an area where there's a lot of vulnerability. People can carry a lot of shame. There can be a lot of defensiveness. Um, so I really appreciate you for sticking with this series and leaning into it. Let me pray. God, would you bless this community? God, we don't have it all together in any area, but we want to cooperate as you redeem and restore. I thank you for the ways that people have listened and learned and been open to hearing prompts from your spirit, hearing challenging things, being encouraged, being redirected, having light shone on areas that maybe we'd rather continue to hide from you, from ourselves, from other people. But God, you are teaching us that when we bring things to you, that as Lydia said at the start of the, of the service, there can be real freedom. So I pray for a blessing on this community that you would bless and prosper them in a powerful way. Those who seek you, we're told, find you when they seek with all their heart. And so may you be found in an especially powerful way. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So when you hear the gospel of Christianity, when you hear the good news that you can be forgiven, that through Christ you can be redeemed and restored, that you can be sealed for eternal life, and not just hear that message, but you actually respond to it. You turn from a self-centered life and turn to Jesus, surrender everything to him as best you know how, in humble acknowledgement, in humble faith and trust. The Bible says you become spiritually reborn. And God begins to reform you. He begins to reshape you. He begins straightening crooked places and mending torn places and healing wounded places. And untangling tangled areas. Uh, I was reflecting on that this week and I thought of uh, the, the burden that it is to pull out the Christmas decorations, right? You got the Christmas tree lights and they're all tangled. And when I came to Christ when I was in grade nine, that's kind of what my life and my interior world and exterior world, world was like. And God just patiently began to disentangle uh, all the chaos. And God begins cultivating hope. And God be begins cultivating life where once despair and aimlessness only grew. And God begins to redeem us. He begins to redeem our patterns. Like Rick was saying, he begins to set us into new modes of being that feel awkward at first because we're not used to them. But over time, they're strengthened. And we begin to realize, oh, this is the way to walk with God. This is the way to walk away from sinful, destructive, self-sabotaging patterns. And it begins to feel good. We begin to take hold of the life that is actually life. We begin to flourish and not merely exist. And that redemptive movement where God takes broken and messy and chaotic things and begins to sort them out, that touches every single area of our lives. 
from our sexuality to our career to our friendships to our hobbies and to our finances. And for some people to talk about finances and faith seems very strange because we tend to think of spiritual things as being maybe less tangible, a little bit more vague, low resolution, and finances being like the nitty-gritty of like real life. But Jesus comes to lead us into real life and lead us out of real life problems and destructive patterns so that we can learn comprehensively, holistically, to be free, not just to be free spiritually in a narrow way, but to be free in all the areas of our life. And so to be a Christian is not simply to be saved for heaven, and now we just sort of go on with regular life and it's a waiting game, and nor is it simply a commitment to be a better person or more moral person, pull yourself up by your moral bootstraps, as it were. To be a Christian is to encounter Christ in a way after which it's impossible to go back to the way things were. It's to encounter Christ in a way that says, I want to commit to live for Jesus. I want to live with wholehearted intention to please him. I want to learn and make little steps, even if they're small, to progress in my obedience to him. Paul wrote, in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And that's the heart of what it means to be a Christian, to be surrendered to Jesus and to say, I want to figure out in all these areas what it means to know and walk with Christ and to experience his power, redeeming what is lost, mending what is broken, bringing life to where there was before only death. And this includes knowing Christ's power and his presence in our finances. Now, when it comes to our finances, knowing and following Christ is going to lead us into four broad categories, and we've reinforced these over the series. It's going to lead us towards building habits that avoid debt, because debt enslaves. We did talk about our strategic uses of debt. You can go back and listen to that if you missed it. But as a general principle, the Bible cautions us about getting into debt too quickly and too easily. In fact, Paul writes to the Roman church and he says, I don't want you to have any debt outstanding. He says, there's only one debt that I want you to feel like you have as a Christian, and that is the debt to love one another. I want you to be financially free so that you can lean into this vision that because of God's love for me, I have a debt to, in a sense, pay forward to those around me. Following Jesus is going to lead us into generosity that spirit of that neighbor who helped uh, Rick and Karis and, and their family. And we learn to give generously as a matter of priority because for God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is one of the purest expressions of genuine love. And so we grow to be a generous people. Time, energy, talents, resources. We also learn to save and invest prudently. The Bible speaks to that because we're a steward of God's resources. We've been given a trust of some kind, some measure of income, wealth, talent, uh, experiences, and we are called to steward that and to invest it so that we can, in a sustained way, use those gifts to bless and serve other people for as long as possible. 
And lastly, we're going to learn how to spend strategically if we follow Jesus for, for long enough. Because we don't want to waste our life. And we don't want to waste our money. Isaiah 55 has this incisive clarion call. It's God speaking to his people and says, why do you spend money on what isn't bread? Why do you labor on what doesn't satisfy? We live in a culture where people are clamoring to get more money and to get more stuff. And the question is, does that actually satisfy? And if not, why are you investing so much time, energy, and money trying to go after something that once you get it and consume it, it's like, oh, I'm still starving. We want to learn to spend in ways that enrich our life. And that's where we're going to finish off this series. It's kind of a part two to last week's message. We want to learn to spend strategically. We've got to spend money. We do it almost every day. We want to spend our money in ways that enrich our lives. That's what it means to spend strategically. Right? Strategically means we have goals for our finances. We're not taking direction from the social mirror, whether that's our friends and family who are pressuring us to live a certain way or uh, social media or the, the cultural zeitgeist as we're picking up on it. We are spending in response to our values that are ideally aligned to God's values, the things that actually matter. And we're spending so that we can be blessed and then we can extend that blessing to other people so that we can honor God with our wealth. All these principles come through as we reflect on what does it mean to spend strategically. And we want to spend in a way that actually enriches our lives. And that's a reminder. I use that language because it is a reminder that broadly speaking, God absolutely wants to bless his people with a rich life. God wants our lives to be rich. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the person who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand with sinners or sit with mockers, but whose delight is in the law or the instruction of God. And who meditates on God's instructions day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. God wants his people to prosper. But the biblical vision of prosperity and being rich isn't simply about material and financial expansion and accumulation. It's about a holistic vision where our lives become full of the things that actually make life rich. Because you and I know lots of people who have tons of money, tons of material possessions. You would not, you'd, but you know, maybe there's a dimension of that that you might envy. But when you look at their life overall, you don't, you actually wouldn't want to trade places with them. Because you can have all kinds of material prosperity and be on every other level impoverished. Prosperity biblically means having a strong and vibrant walk with God, something that's dynamic and fresh and meaningful, healthy and whole relationships with your children and grandchildren and in your marriage and in your friendships and in your community, purpose and meaning in daily life, hope and resolve in suffering, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, increasingly permeating every part of your life, those things together are what God wants for his people. And yet many people don't spend their money in ways to reinforce these values, right? Their spending is in control of them. They're reactive. They're not in control of their spending. And so they overspend or they just misdirect their spending. They spend emotionally. They spend in response to fear. They spend in response to insecurity. They spend in response to being busy and frazzled and they kind of don't really have a plan. It's just sort of like whatever happens, happens and they figure it out down the line. Or maybe they spend it a pride or envy or another sin. And that's why it's important to pause every once in a while, like we've done in this last week and this week and say, what's actually driving my spending habits? Like, what do I find myself spending my money on? And why do I go after those things? Especially when after I make that investment, there is that buyer's regret. There is that disappointment of, oh, I worked so hard for weeks or months or maybe even years and then I got it. And it was a high, like the shopper's high thing is real, it's legit. You get a massive hit of a feel-good chemicals when you purchase something. But maybe we weren't prepared for the drop-off. And that sense of, is this what life is about? Just trying to chase after stuff? Like Ecclesiastes says, is it kind of a chasing after the wind? It's really easy to waste your life by spending non-strategically and just sort of investing in stuff without thinking about, does it reinforce these things? Am I spending my money in ways that actually enrich my life? Now, last week we brainstormed some ways. I'm going to ask you for a few more this morning so you can start to kind of warm up your brain. If you're kind of going into cruise control, don't do that. You can shift out of gear, come back into a gear. We talked about ways that we can learn, big and small, to shift away from foolish, self-sabotaging spending towards ways of spending that are wise and genuinely enriching. And we talked about, you know, avoiding impulse purchases. That's an important one, right? Like paying cash whenever possible. Try to avoid frictionless purchases like the debit tap. Make spending cost something so that it has an inherent pause to say, do I actually really want to get this, right? We talked about instituting for every $100 of value that the thing is, waiting 24 hours. So you just hit the pause button, learn to delay your own gratification. We talked about sanitizing your social media feed. I talked about that as, a, as an envy engine that can rev you up pretty quickly. You're looking at what other people have, uh, not just materially, it might just be in another area, right? But when you're on social media, you tend to be looking at other people's highlight reels and then you step back into your regular life and you're like, wah, wah, oh, maybe if I had that kind of marriage or that kind of car or that kind of vacation or that kind of stuff, I would be happy because I see them being happy. So we have to be very careful what we allow to come before us. Because, you know, first, like Rick said, first we form habits, but then our habits actually begin to form us and it can become a runaway train. So you have to have um, times where you do an audit of 
What's being placed in front of you? What's being placed in front of you specifically as it relates to what it means to have the good life? Is it helping to reinforce those values that we just talked about? Or is it leading me to spend and invest in ways that are just honestly stupid and foolish and on bread that doesn't actually satisfy? What are some other ways we can learn to spend strategically? Are there habits of heart, soul, mind, and strength? Things to avoid, things to do that have been helpful. I have a few more here. I'll touch on them. But what are ways that we can get better at avoiding wasting our money and spending so that our lives are holistically enriched? Anyone have any ideas or tips or tricks for us? Grace. Mm. That's a great insight. Uh, for those uh, listening online, the, the comment in a nutshell, if I hear you right, Grace, is because we're stewards, we should invest in things of good quality and then take care of them. Um, I've heard an expression once. Um, oh, it totally slipped my mind. Oh, the cheap and the poor pay twice. Right? And so, yeah, spending strategically means not necessarily spending the minimum amount possible in whatever ways it might look like buying the better quality vehicle so that you have 10 years of reliable service and you can just free that mental space to go somewhere else productive instead of always trying to go with what's cheapest. That's a great example where, and, and then it's a stewardship to say, how do I take care of my things? To not simply treat them as disposable. Other ideas of how to spend strategically. Deborah. Yeah, I had that down. I had seek to borrow from uh, seek to borrow before you buy from a neighbor or friend or family member and repair and reuse, right? And this is something that a few generations ago you had to do, but we've shifted in so many ways to a hyper consumeristic single use cult uh, culture. Um, it can be a real challenge, especially f probably for a generation um, for me and younger, maybe to just be very flippant and not look for creative ways to reuse things and to simply say, oh, I need this and buy it. Say, well, no, if I kind of jury rigged this over here, it would actually be fine. So yeah, borrow and reuse before you buy things. Any other uh, tips or tricks or insight share your wisdom with me and us rick oh yeah don't buy things just because they're on sale i'm gonna save so much money if i buy this thing at 50 percent off right it's like no you'll save a hundred percent if you don't buy it that's that you know i mean if you're really looking for something right a sale can be helpful and that's a great example of wisdom right wisdom says just buying things on sale isn't necessarily strategic or helpful you could, you could still get into all kinds of money troubles by buying lots of stuff that you don't need on sale. But to be strategic and say, maybe I'm not going to buy this thing that I do need until it goes on sale, that's wisdom. 
So just knowing that difference and, and being attentive to the fact that, yeah, we never save money by buying something on sale if we didn't actually need it. Yeah, so just being careful. And that, and that kind of speaks to something I had here. Like just, again, just being mindful of how marketing works and just recognizing that however well-intended, it's still psychological warfare manipulation. It's designed to amplify your sense of lack and to amplify the sense in which this gives you, this is going to bring into your life communion, connection, transcendence, affirmation, approval, status, right? Many of the impulse purchases that we buy are driven by a deeper longing that ultimately should be grounded in God and in the core connections in our lives. But marketers aren't, aren't dumb. They realize if I can get you to believe that this toothbrush is the only thing that stands between you and transcendent joy, they will frame things like that. And these are the conversations that they have. I mean, I've read articles where marketers talk about how do we leverage the language of religious trans transcendence uh, and spirituality and frame things so that what's being offered to you is salvation. Salvation from your low status, salvation from your obscurity, salvation from your troubles in this area. Maybe one more if anyone has something that they're burning to share. Oh, so good. Resell something old before you buy something new. Yeah, I did that with uh, video games. I used to have a really bad video game habit when I was uh, newly married and I would just buy every month, every other month, kind of like 60 to 75 bucks, just kind of drop it. And eventually when I started to give to the church and kind of reorganize my finances around some of these priorities, I realized, oh, I can't do that anymore. Part of that money is going to the church. And so what I said is I'm going to play out a video game until I'm sick of it. And then I don't get another one until I sold that one to someone. So I only really had one or two video games at a time. But after a few months of doing that, it was like, oh, there's no problem at all. It was great. And it created a lot of um, financial margins for uh, my wife and I at the time. So yeah, sell stuff before you buy something. Something in, something out, right? De not just helpful for decluttering, but again, just offsetting the cost of things. Um... I think I, did I mention gratitude and Thanksgiving last week? I can't remember. Did I? Yeah, I did. Okay, yeah. Nurturing contentment and gratitude. Uh, sorry, nurturing contentment through gratitude and Thanksgiving. That's really important, right? Um, just that habit of focusing and giving thanks on what you have, not fixating on what you don't or what you'd like to have. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money. First uh, Timothy 6 talks about how not money, but the love of money, the fixation on it, the centering of it as the source of all your problems, and so you covet it. Um, Paul says, man, that's been a cause of a lot of people walking away from the faith or piercing themselves. Literally means stabbing themselves with many griefs. And part of the way that money, we can keep the love of money, we can keep money in its proper place, is to cultivate contentment through gratitude every single day. Having a budget's important. It's hard to spend strategically if you don't have a financial plan and if you don't have goals. You don't have to have everything dialed down to the penny, but to just sort of have an attitude of, well, stuff comes in, stuff goes out, we'll see how it goes. You know, a lot of people tend not to manage their money well like that. 
and a steward, I think, has to have some kind of a budget, some kind of a plan. We talked about that early on in the series. Uh, and two more really quickly, watch the company you keep. You, you will, like, we'd like to believe that it's only teenagers who suffer from peer pressure. And then when you're an adult, you make your own decisions. Let's be real. We feel pressure all the time to live into the lifestyles of those around us, especially the core people with whom we interact. Whatever gets normalized for them on any level, we tend to get pulled into that. That's why the scripture is so clear in terms of saying, you know, you're going to have concentric circles of influence and friendship in your life and relationship. Guard that inner four to six people really closely and make sure that the direction they're traveling is in general the direction you want to be traveling. Um, make sure that you surround yourself with people who have the same goals that you do. It's very hard to avoid debt when you are surrounded by people who talk about debt nonchalantly and enter into debt as if it's just an extension of income. That's a very difficult tension point to sustain and say, no, I'm going to live a different way and have those inputs and that example around you all the time. Oh, one thing that was, before I get to my last one, a sub last one, bonus. Uh, this is a fun one. Do a no spend month. Uh, I think... I can't remember if I put a link in it in the summit two weeks ago, but I'll put another link in uh, this uh, uh, Friday. You take a month and you intentionally don't buy anything that isn't a genuine necessity. No coffee out, no nothing. If, if you don't have to buy it, like not a bill, you pay your bills. It's not like don't spend on bills month or anything like that. Or like, feed your kids or grandkids. It's just you don't do anything that in the strictest sense is actually not a need. And it's like a fast, right? It's fasting from spending and just observe what's going on. In some cases, observe how hard that is. In some cases, observe, I thought my life would be ruined. I can't believe it. I'm going to miss these little perks that I have to have in my day and my week. And then I get to a weekend. It's like, that was hard. Two weeks in, I don't really miss it that much. Three weeks in, this is great. I don't miss it. And I've got more money in my bank account. And last one, uh, again, and this ties into it, I guess. Review your spending and adjust. When you buy things, just be honest with yourself and say, was that bread that actually satisfied? Did that enrich my life? And if it didn't, talk about it with a trusted friend, pray about it, make a little tweak and say, I'm going to do things differently next time. Don't be mindless in your spending. And if you make a mistake, don't beat yourself up for it, for it but learn from it. Say, what was going on there? Why did I do that? That's a hard lesson but I'm going to remember next time I'm tempted to go down this road. That wasn't actually really helpful. You know, um, Marie Kondo, the minimalist, does it spark joy? That question in terms of decluttering your home, living into minimalism and organization. It's a good, I mean, it's a good question. Are the things I bought this today, did it actually enrich my life? Did it strengthen, again, those values that we talked about? And if not, then be willing to say, Okay, I'm going to think twice next time. And maybe I'll go in a different direction with what I spend that five, fifty, five hundred dollars on. 
So I hope you've seen through this series, and particularly as we come to a close, that one of the greatest spiritual tasks before us is learning how to integrate our faith and our finances. And today, to, to learn how to integrate, how to spend strategically so that our lives are enriched and not impoverished. And that true enrichment will occur as you grow in the principles of avoiding debt and giving generously and saving and investing uh, prudently and spending strategically. But I want to make sure this is really clear, that those principles, as good as they are, the prosperity that God promises really only happens if all of those principles are held within a broader context of a relationship and surrender to Christ. You can go, there's, a way to, there's a way to use the Bible to kind of dip into it for biblical tips and tricks and principles and extract them and put them into play. And you can bypass God in doing that. And they will accrue because God's designed creation in a certain way. They will accrue benefits to you. But that isn't the point of this series, to just sort of figure out how to game from God's perspective our finances so that things go better for us. It's actually about growing in wisdom and it's about growing in our faithfulness with God. And you can do all of those things, avoid debt and give and save and be super, you can flourish financially without Jesus. But if you do, that actually misses the catalytic piece. It's a way of, it's kind of the equivalent, I guess, of, of someone who says, well, I, I kind of live Christian values without Christ. And that, that's, that, there's this uh, turn of phrase in the New Testament that talks about those who have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And yeah, you can act Christian. You can learn things from the Bible and implement it. But if that's all that's happened in this series, I would, I would personally, pastorally be heartbroken. If our church prospered massively, put all this into place, we were just absolutely crushing finances on every level two years from now, and all of that was happening outside of a relationship with Jesus, what an abject failure this series would be. It would actually be a failure. And I'd actually rather have people surrendered in their hearts to Jesus two years from now, having only taken very meager steps, and those Christmas lights are still tangled up, and you're like, oh, I'm still in process, but I'm learning to love and walk with Jesus. That's a success from my perspective. These are good principles. You've learned some good things in the series, but they don't lead to eternal life. They don't lead to salvation, justification, sanctification, new identity, renewed identity in Jesus. Listen to these words of Solomon. Power, status, wealth, out the wazoo, more than anybody. And hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the scene, this is what he says as he reflects on his prosperity without God at the center. I took on great projects. I built houses for myself. I had vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees. I had reservoirs and groves of flourishing trees. I had male and female uh, servants and other servants who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anybody in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, a delight 
uh, sorry, the delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And in all this, wisdom stayed with me. I had wisdom. Like I, I, was, I was working the plan, working these principles. I didn't deny myself anything that my eye looked at. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. This was the reward of my toil. And yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. And the Hebrew there is very enigmatic. It's, it was, it's like a vapor. It was insubstantial. It was bread, but when you consumed it, it didn't satisfy. It was gone. I'm still hungry. And he says, nothing was gained under the sun. If you prosper financially without Christ, you actually don't gain anything. And that's what I want to remind myself of. That's what I want to remind you of as we close this series. Do you actually know Christ? Do you love and trust him? Have you surrendered to him? Have you recognized that at the deepest level of your need, there is a a gap, there's a hole, there's a deficit that only his love and grace and spirit can fill? Does his spirit live within you, prompting you towards faithfulness, prompting you with a desire every day in all these areas to say, how do I please you, God? How do I serve you? How do I be a conduit through which I receive blessing and then extend it to those around me? This series is going to end where it began. And that is to flourish in any area of our life. We have to take a cue from those Macedonian Christians that we read you know, nine or ten weeks about, uh, ago in 2 Corinthians 8.5, who first gave themselves to the Lord. That was their starting point. They gave themselves to the Lord first. And so today, if you hear his voice calling you, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart. Ask him to save you into a new life and a new hope and to a new power. Let's pray.